Grab your Bible. We're picking up in John. I mean, I'm talking about Sunday morning. We're in Genesis chapter chapter 44. And you might think we've been in 44 forever. Well, we're only going to look at the last few verses and then we're going to jump right into 45. Genesis 44. Looking at verse 33. In context, you must understand what is going, what is going on, what is taking place. Remember Joseph, who is now Zaphan Penan, who's standing there before his 11 brothers. And they believe that he is the Egyptian equivalent of Pharaoh. And they believe that this man is very mad at them. And now Judah, who is the spokesman for the brothers, not Reuben, because Reuben forfeited his position as the leader of the family whenever he slept with his father's concubine back in Genesis 36, I believe. And now Judah steps forward, the very Judah who also persuaded his brothers to sell Joseph into slavery, is now pleading with Joseph who he doesn't believe is Joseph, is nothing more than the Egyptian king. He's pleading with Joseph to sell himself into slavery instead of selling his own brother, Benjamin, into slavery. See, this was all a ruse. This is all a test by Joseph to test the hearts of his brothers. And we must remember that Joseph is nothing more than a foreshadowing of Christ. And if Joseph tested his brothers, don't you believe, congregation, that Jesus will test your heart? He will test your faith. A faith that's never been tested is not worth having. Congregation, what I'm telling you tonight is that you will face trials and tribulations. That they have been ordered and ordained by the hand of God. That you will face things that you believe will take you out. And if they do take you out, then there's a heaven to gain. But either way... They have been ordained by God. So the things that come your way, whether it's mental depression, or whether it's afflictions in the body, God simply allowed those things in your life. He is not punishing you for the wrath has been poured out on Christ. How many Christians actually believe that God is mad at them? Yes, He's mad with the wicked. Weren't you here Sunday when I was quoted Psalm 711 where God is angry with the wicked new, newly every morning? However, therefore, his Christians, his children, those who are his elect, those that he has called unto himself, there's nothing but grace and mercy. Amen. So the wrath that was meant for you is poured out on Christ. Well, why then do Christians have hard times? Why do Christians get cancer? Why do Christians get depressed? Why do Christians have ailments in the body? Well, these are trials. Like 2 Peter was written for Christians who are in trials. That Romans tells us that pain and suffering produce character and patience. And it does not put us to shame. When a Christian is laying on their hospital bed and they sing praises to Jesus while their body's being ate up by cancer, the world's head spins and says, I don't understand. If he's the healer, why doesn't he heal you? And that Christian responds, even if he don't heal me, I will bless his holy name. Amen, Amen somebody. So no matter what afflictions come my way, no matter what I face, no matter what things I lose, whether I lose my property, I lose my mind, I lose my health or prosperity, no matter what I lose, I shall exalt His name because He's far better than any of those things. Amen, somebody. <laughs> That's good to me. But we see here Judah. 
who will have a descendant from his DNA, who will rise up from his very own loins through the line of not only Mo, not only uh, Judah's line will be uh, Mary and Joseph. You must realize that Mary and Joseph were related to Judah. See, Judah has a prophecy over him, and I don't want to spoiler alert, but the, the Messiah will come from his family tree. But you remember, if you're a Christian, that Jesus was born to a virgin, right? Everybody knows that. So that means that Joseph was not actually the biological father of Jesus. However, Mary was related to Judah. And however, Joseph was related to Judah. So no matter if you're reading in Matthew and you see the genealogy, and then no matter if you're reading in Luke and you see the genealogy of Christ, it all spoils and it all comes back to uh, of the line of Judah where it comes from the seed of Jesse. It comes from David. The prophecies are true. Judah, he has coming from his own loins in a couple of centuries, an advocate who will stand up and defend the guilty. And his name is Jesus. Woo, that's good to me. Benjamin was not even guilty, but I'll tell you, there's one who stands up for the guilty and defends them. When you're wrong and you know you're wrong, Jesus stands up and defends you. Thank you, Jesus. When people put you down and they drag your name to the mud and you feel like you deserve it, and all the time you do because all we deserve is wrath, Jesus comes along and he defends us, has taking on the full measure of the wrath of God, setting us free, placing righteousness and good goodness and faithfulness are upon us. Oh, we don't get no better than that. For Buddha teaches what goes around comes around like karma, like a boomerang. You throw it and it comes back to you. We as Christians don't believe that because all Christ did was good and righteous and He reaped a cross. Let's go step farther. All I've done has been depraved and wicked. All I've done is pursued wickedness and I've reaped grace and mercy Amen. and forgiveness. We don't believe in karma. We don't believe what goes around comes around. We don't believe those things. We believe the gospel. Why do bad things happen to good people though? Why do bad things happen to good people? That only happened once and he volunteered. Amen, somebody. We should ask, why does anything good happen to anybody? It's because of God and His goodness and His grace. Woo, that's so good, but we'll keep on going. We'll go ahead and get started. Everybody grab your Bible. We're looking at Genesis 43. As now Judah is finishing up, he is defending Benjamin. He's saying, instead of killing the, my father who is at home, when I come home without Benjamin, my father will, he will probably waste away for his heart is now crushed. He's already lost Joseph. Now this Judah who was before a wicked man, God has worked in him such a change. Now he has changed. Let this verse ring in the hearts of you who are here today that you ain't always done what's right, but God is still working on you. You may know somebody who's off in the weeds, a prodigal, who ain't living right, but God is still able to work on them. Amen, somebody. We can see all the way in Genesis 44 that Judah, we can read back the, the things that Judah did with Tamar, the way he treated people, how he sold Joseph into slavery, and now he's a changed man because well, you always hear the 
phrase that once something, always a something. Insert whatever you want there. Drug, uh, prostitute, put a, put a whore there. Whatever you want, put it there. Once that, always that. Not so. Amen. 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 Let me testify tonight if you won't. Let me tell you. For he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, new creatures with new features. Behold, things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Thank you, Jesus, for making things new. You might see me, I might look the same, but it's changed me. I ain't, I ain't where I should be, but I'm not where I was. Thank you, Jesus. Judah as a testimony. Thank you for putting Judah in here. Thank you that I don't read this book and it ain't full of fairy tales, but it's people with warts and troubles and problems, and God worked with them because that's what He's done with me in my life. He's used me, He worked with me, held me, kept me. Oh, glory to God. Man, I'm preaching better than y'all acting. You better tighten up. Verse 34, he said, For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? The same Judah who didn't care that he lied to his father before about Joseph. Now his heart is wrenching in the presence of this Egyptian king. I feared to see the evil that would find my father. He loves his father. What a change in Judah. At this point, it's been 22 years and now Joseph has been testing his brothers and now we have reached the exclamation point. Joseph cannot hold it together. He loses it. I want you to imagine Joseph standing there with that deep black mascara on his eyes as they worship the God of Horus. Not Joseph, but the Egyptian culture. They wore deep black mascara over their eyes to insinuate, to enhance their eyes because they worshiped the God of Rod. This symbol was an eyeball. So they made their eyes very deep, huge. However, in a moment, the floodgates will break. And that mascara will run. It will run deep over his cheeks and run all down his chest. His dignity will go out the window beginning in chapter 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood before him. He cried, made everyone, made everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him. When Joseph made himself known to his brothers. I hope you get chicken pipples there. I hope you feel the emotion there. 22 years. Joseph realizes these ain't the same brothers that betrayed him 22 years ago. Joseph certainly has changed and they have too. How foolish it is us to hold a grudge for 22 years. How foolish of us to hold a grudge from yesterday. Things change. Things change so quickly. In fact, when you walked in, you've changed from when you walked from your car to here. You've changed. The hemoglobin in your blood has changed. Your sugar levels have changed. Your sleepiness level has changed. Your attention span has changed. Those things have changed. Things change. To hold a grudge that long. And now, he can't hold it anymore. He's not holding a grudge. He forgave them long before they stood before him. He cries out and makes everyone leave him. In verse 2, he wept aloud so the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. This was not a sniffle. It was not a, a teardrop. 
He weeps and mourns and he rejoices and cries, all culminating at the same time where the people around in the palace can hear the echoes and the screams of this Zaphan Panan, who is really Joseph, who is now in the presence of his brothers. All oh, the overwhelming rejoicing. All their sins are wiped away. They're shocked, of course, at the revelation of who this person is. It's truly Joseph. And they can barely get over it themselves. However, Joseph exclamates, he exalts, he hugs his brothers. Reconciliation. It's been coming a long time. Usually when there's true reconciliation, there's done with a burst of emotion. When you can truly forgive somebody and weep and rejoice at seeing their face instead of rolling your eyes and grinding your teeth every time you see them and you just tried to hold it together, then truly you have not forgave them. Here Joseph weeps as he's happy to see Benjamin, but not only happy to see Benjamin, but see the change in all his brothers. Oh, can you hear the cries and the joys of a family reunited? What they meant to do for evil, God meant it for good. Oh, that he would testify of the greatness and the glory of God. Maybe someone has done you wrong and hurt you. Biblical advice I can give to you is forgive them like Christ has forgiven you. If God has only forgiven you just a little bit, forgive them just a little bit. But I can't forget. Well, God tosses into the sea of forgetfulness and tells you not to go fishing. Why do you bring it up? Because you've not got over it. You want to hold it back over their heads. Nowhere in here do we see that Joseph says, Hey, y'all remember that time y'all sold me into slavery? <laughs> yeah, I ain't forgot. He don't do that. He weeps with him. And cries and holds him. But they are stunned at the revelation of who Joseph really is. Is it possible that we as Christians, whenever we have a true revelation of who Christ is, that we say, uh-oh, now I know he's the Son of God. He knows all that I've done. And we can't forgive ourselves. Is it true that sometimes we, we hold back a little and we, we walk on eggshells around Joseph, I mean Jesus, whenever we come to church because we, we know Jesus knows what we did yesterday and we think He's going to strike us with a lightning bolt, but all He does is weep over us. He simply dies for us as He weeps in the garden and He bleeds on the cross to save sinners like you and me. He is invested in you. He will not simply cast you out because you had a bad day. And he's not going to say, well, you need to clean up your wagon. You need to get your mess together. And he's not in love with a future version of you that's 10 pounds lighter who's not addicted to anything. He died before you while you were yet a sinner because that's the kind of Christ we serve. Amen. <laughs> Here Joseph weeps. The mascara is running. The brothers are stunned. Oh, no. Recompense. What if Jesus, whenever He was leaving His disciples on the Mount of Olives, and the angel said, well, the same Jesus you saw leave, He'll be back and He's going to make everything even. He's going to get everybody who wronged Him. That means there'll be a target on me. 
For it was my hands that drove the nails into his hand. It, it, it was my hands that pressed the crown of thorns on his head. It was my hands that thrust the spear into his side every time I indulged in a sin, every time I blasphemed his name, every time I lied, every time I coveted or envied someone, every time I've lusted or dishonored the Sabbath day, worshipped something smaller than him. It was my sin that held Christ to the cross. And if he came back to get even with everybody and get vengeance, where would you and I be? We would be in hell. But he simply comes again and shows grace and shows mercy and forgives sinners like you and me. There's no vengeance found in this chapter. Can you imagine Simeon at this point? Because Judah spoke for Simeon. Can you imagine Reuben, Zebulun, all the brothers? Judah has been speaking for them. If they didn't believe what Judah was saying, they would have simply said, hey, hey, I don't agree with that. I don't put me in this situation. I'm not going to be a slave for Benjamin. I not, no, Judah was a spokesman. So their hearts have been changed. And I'm sure here at this point, their hearts were wrenched and broken because there stood Joseph. This is quite the predicament, wouldn't you agree? They sold him into slavery, and now they're standing face to face, and he has the power to crush them. But he don't. <laughs> For it was my sins that put the lashes on Jesus' back. It was my mocking and the spittle that ran off his face. It was the ringing of the nails that I still hear at Calvary. I put Jesus on the cross. I sold him into slavery. I betrayed him. But still, he beckons me from an empty tomb. Let me tell you all the things that you're worried about and everything that you're facing, everything that the, the, the enemy threatens you with are as hollow as that empty tomb. Come on, somebody. They ain't got no power over you. Right. <laughs> In Christ alone we stand. Clean, nothing, nothing. It would empty hands we bring clinging on to the old rugged cross. Thank you, Jesus. Let's continue if we can. In verse 3, and Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Just like Israel will be dismayed when Christ splits the eastern sky. They look upon the one that they pierced. But he will reveal in all his glory who he is. And he will show them grace and mercy. In verse 4, so Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. Notice uh, we have a dignitary, we have royalty, calling forth his brothers. Oh, so good to me to know that my brother... I'm not talking about my oldest biological brother. I'm talking about my spiritual brother, my God, my Savior. He draws me. He calls me and says, come near to me. Oh, that's good to me. He draws them near. The betrayers and the one who was betrayed says, come near to me, please. And they came near. And if he did not beckon them, if he had thundered warnings towards them, say, you better stay away from me or I'm going to get you. No, no, he's... He simply calls to them and says, Come closer to me. Come within arm's reach. Just like my Jesus does. Kevin, I know what you did. I know what you thought. I know what, you, what your motivation was. I know what you did and how you acted. But come near to me. 
When we should be enemies, Kevin. I, I, I know what you've done and I know what you had desired to do. And I know what your motivation was, but Kevin, draw near to me. Even though I was once your enemy, you're reconciled by grace. Come near. Oh, that's so good. Somebody's getting it, but somebody ain't. We'll just keep going. He, told, he calls out to them, come near to me, please. If you ain't seeing in chapter 45 all about forgiveness and grace, then you ain't reading your Bible. You're, you're missing the whole point. This ain't about no technicolor code, and it's not about favoritism, and it ain't about Egypt, and it's about forgiveness. Here Joseph is in the face of his afflictors, and he shows grace and mercy. I am your brother Joseph. And <laughs> look how he words it. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. He, resp he responds to them, You betrayed me. You betrayed me. Verse 5, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve your life. It won't done to Joseph. It was done for Joseph. You got to realize that whenever you face afflictions and whatever you face in your life, it won't done to you. It was done for you. For God sent Joseph ahead of them. For if Joseph failed, and there's no possible way he would have failed because God's hand was on him, and God sent him there long before they needed any feed, long before they needed a, a, a saving, Joseph was already in position because God put him there to save Egypt and Israel. Right. Glory to God. That's how it works out. That whenever you face afflictions and you're going to a valley, I want to, let's bring this thing on down at our level where we're sitting in our lives. If you're sitting here today and you're in affliction, you're battling something, your finances are strained, your body is strained, you're dealing with knots all over your body and sicknesses, and you think, God, why would you do this to me? He didn't do it to you. He did it for you. For even Paul... God took this man in 1 Corinthians. He took him up to the seventh heaven. He got to see things that we would never see. And if you believe there's some kid writing about their life and when they died and they went to heaven and they came back, that's not true at all. For God why not even allow Paul to write the things he saw. So we got Paul here who went to the holiest holies and saw heaven with his own eyes. But then God turns around and gives him a thorn in the flesh. He talks about it. I don't know what it was. Some people said he had an eye problem. Some people said he stuttered. I don't know what it was. It don't really matter. We can speculate. But we can see that God gave him the thorn in the flesh. God gave it to him. He said, here, I'm giving you this. And Paul says, to buffet me. The thing came from God to buffet me. That means to bring me down and humble me. To put me on people's level. Because can you imagine the Apostle Paul walking around? Well, I've been to heaven. Even the Apostle Paul was not immune to pride. And I know I'm not. I don't know how many afflictions you'll have to go to for God to bring your pride down. He might have strike you with all kinds of things, but whenever He does, He's doing it for you. He's not doing it to you. He's doing it for you to make you more like Jesus don't you see, Paul was given an affliction in the body. Your affliction is different than mine. Your snags and your entanglements are different than mine. But they're given to me by God for my good, Amen. for His glory. Yes. 
Oh, that's so good, and y'all ain't getting it. Come on. We see here that God sent Joseph there to preserve life. You mean God sold him into slavery? Yes. God had him betrayed by his own family? Yes. God had him lied on by Potiphar's wife? Yes. God had him put in prison for years? Yes. Had people forget about him when they got out of prison? Yes. God had him exalted before the Pharaoh. We must remember that God is sovereign. But God ain't sovereign over this part. This, this depression. God ain't sovereign over my afflictions. And God ain't sovereign over my joint pain. God ain't sovereign over, over my bank accounts. And God ain't sovereign over my feelings. Because I feel this way. It doesn't matter how you feel. He's still sovereign. And He still reigns. I don't know about y'all, but that causes me to sleep a little better at night. I don't have to worry about if my house alarm is on or if I, my dog is loose or, or what's, what's waiting for me tomorrow for God is sovereign and He orchestrates all things. It's a grand display. It's nothing more than a chess piece and God is moving the pieces and He reigns forevermore. Amen, somebody. Amen. So God orchestrated all this and He did it to preserve life. Verse 6, for the, family, for the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing or harvest. It's only two years in this thing. I believe they came on the first year. And you remember they waited a year and they kept their brother Simeon locked up in prison for about a year because he probably needed it. He was a hothead. He went into Shechem. You remember he walked into Shechem with his brother Levi and they killed everybody. So they probably said, well, we're probably better off. At least he's getting three square meals a day and he's getting a cot. At least he's in prison. He's all right. They're going to feed him. He's in jail. And they had to go back a year later. So it's the second year. Now, Joseph, he said that God sent me to preserve you and rammed it on the earth to keep alive for you many survivors. Eight, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. <laughs> but God. It wasn't you who betrayed me, but God allowed it. And I know that He's going to work all things for my good. It, it, it wasn't the water that gave me the sickness. It, it wasn't something I ate that messed me up. It, it wasn't my family that caused me to have this disposition. It was God who allowed it because God is sovereign. Verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here but God. And now we can see that Joseph ain't even mad at God. He must have knew what Paul was going to write in Romans 8, 28. That all things work towards good. All things. Not that all things are good. Cancer ain't good. Molestation ain't good. Betrayal ain't good. Backstabbing, gossip, name being dragged through the mutter, but through the gutter ain't good. Divorce ain't good. Heartbreak ain't good. But it will work for my good in His glory. Amen. Oh, come on, y'all. You got to get this. No matter what comes my way. I don't need to know why. Why did I face this and why did I face that? And why am I so depressed? Why am I cast down my oh my soul like David wrote? I just need to know who, from whose hand it came from. Yes, and I can be I can be content like uh, it is well with my soul. The writer of that hymnal came across the place where his daughters drowned to death. As the ship goes over the area where the ship sank. He wrote that hymnal as the sea billows roll. He said, it is well with my soul. Amen. He lost two children at the bottom of that sea. 
but he knew God was sovereign and his hand was all over it. It was a longing and break, heartbreaking to lose those children. But he is at peace knowing that his children were in the hands of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with God. Amen, somebody. Amen. So it was not God in verse 8 who sent you here. It was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father of the Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and the ruler of all the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me the Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children, your flocks and herds and all that you have. Therefore I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to, be, come to poverty. Verse 12, And now your eyes see, and the eyes of, your, of my brother Benjamin see, that it, was, it is my mouth that speaks to you. Joseph extends protection. He provides for those who betrayed him. And he shows grace. He practically saves his former enemies. Just like Jesus does. That they don't come to poverty. That they don't nearly lay in the streets all their little ones and their livestock and their property. But he preserves them in verse 12. And now you see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. Benjamin seeing his brother who probably hadn't seen, well, I know he hadn't seen him about 22 years, so Benjamin's at least, at least 22 years old. In verse 13, you must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Congregation, you see reconciliation. You see forgiveness and grace in Joseph. But I also hope you see it in your own lives. As Christ is reconciled to you. As you've offended a holy and righteous God. We talk about it all the time here. That we deserve hell. He bore our wrath. He captured us by His grace. And now, if you're sitting here today, you're a bona fide, born again, saved by grace, child of God, working out your faith, believing Christ and pursuing righteousness, are you forgiving like Christ forgives? Are you showing grace like Christ shows grace? Are you forgiving? Are you reconciling? Are you purposely seeking out reconciliation? Well, they ain't came to me. I don't have to forgive them for that. They didn't ask for forgiveness. At this point, do you see anywhere in this chapter where his brothers asked for forgiveness? He forgave them long before he saw them. And when that face-to-face -face encounter came, he had already forgave them and he weeps over them. Weeping of joy and reconciliation. He weeps over his brothers. He weeps over each and every one of them. He weeps over Judah who suggested they sell him. 
He weeps over Simeon and Levi who were ruthless and zebulent. He, he, he weeps over Reuben who tried to help him. He weeps over each every one of his brothers. And he says in verse 16, And when the report was heard in Joseph's house, of Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beast, and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your household, and come, with, come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat of the fat of the land. And verse 19, And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt, for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Now we have some brothers who've done some wicked things but because of the position of their brother have the best of the land. Believer, today, you might not have the best life now. If you're having your best life now, like some preachers preach, having your best life today, having the best money, the best houses, the best property, then when you die, you truly are going to hell. But believer, today, if your best is yet to come, whether you live in squander, you live in a hut, whether you live in a bridge, under a bridge out by the river somewhere, and you're thinking the best is yet to come because my brother will give me the best in the afterlife, then truly you are a child of Christ who does not promise an easy life for his, for his disciples and his believers. In fact, he tells his believers, in this life you will have many afflictions, afflictions you'll have many troubles. But then he finishes it off and says, Do not fear, for I have overcome them all. Amen. The selling point to Jesus is don't come to Jesus and you'll have a big house and you'll never get sick. The selling point to come to Jesus is Come to Jesus even if you lose everything, for He's better than having everything. Amen. For if you remember, whenever Satan took Christ up and showed Him the kingdoms of the world, He said, I'll give you all this. There's some preachers now who say, come to Jesus and you can have all this. What I'm preaching to you is if you come to Jesus, you won't have none of that. Amen. Come to Jesus People will drag your name through the mud and they will afflict you and hate you and despise you for His name's sake. They will want to kill you and drag you before councils and dignitaries and even put you to death because of His name. But don't fret and don't fear for you are just a pilgrim passing through. Amen. Your life and your treasures are on the other side of glory and His name is Jesus. Amen. So we see the position that they have, the best of all the land, is because of the position of their brother, the best of all that we will have and we will all ever receive is because of Christ and His position. He sits at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for us on our behalf. And we'll have the best and is yet to come for the believer, not this world. Let us bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you as we have broken down Genesis and we studied uh, about the similarities of Joseph and how he supplies the needs and the wants of his people because of his DNA relation.
But Lord, I know today that I am a child of God and I am grafted in because of the blood of Jesus Christ that caused me to be adopted in. That He bore the wrath that was meant for me. And You took Your enemy and seated him at a place of a banquet. Uh, being called a child and being adopted. Bearing Your name. And Lord, I know that I may be in a foreign country much like Egypt. And I may not have the best of land and a great property and I don't, I don't need those things for my testimony in Christ. And I don't have to bear prosperity and wealth. And I, I, a good day to say that Jesus is good for He has saved me and redeemed me from the wrath of God. And I can testify that God is good because I am bad and I deserve nothing short of hell. So dear Jesus, I pray that You'll stir our hearts and our minds. And let us read in Scripture the similarities as they all point towards you and what you have done and accomplished at the cross for sinners like me. Thank you for reconciliation. I am reconciled now with Heavenly Father. And now I can be reconciled with those around me. Even those who seek to do me harm, I can be reconciled. Even my enemies, I can do them well and bless them because I was an enemy of God and you have done nothing for me but give me grace and mercy when I deserve nothing but hell. So Father, I pray that you stir our hearts and our spirits and our minds as we walk out these doors to carry this gospel on our mission field to tell somebody about Jesus. In your most precious name we pray. Amen.